Hi everyone, Paul from the Data Storytellers here. Today I'm with Stefan Langer, who's the Group Data and Analytics Officer at Schultzer. Great to have you with us. Hey Paul, great to meet you. Good, good morning for you, I guess. Yes, good morning for me, good afternoon for you. And uh, obviously we've connected before, but for those who don't know you, can you just tell us about your professional background and your, your journey to becoming the, the CDAO for Schultzer? Sure, absolutely. So um, basically, uh, in the last months, I actually started to introduce myself as the, uh, the data cheerleader at, at Solzer. And uh, essentially, my, my whole professional career, I've spent in the uh, domain of, of, of data management and analytics. So um, initially, I, I started uh, business information technology, which is at the intersection between um, uh, computer science and uh, business management. And right after graduation, which is now, what is it, 15 years back, um, entered uh, kind of the, uh, uh, the, the, the consulting environment as a, as a BI consulting, um, focusing on, on data warehousing and reporting. And already during my studies, I got fascinated with the idea that you can uh, steer the fate of, of an organization and large, large enterprises uh, purely based on, on, on data and analytics and guide your uh, decision making. And um, after spending the first eight years of my career in, in consulting, um, I got a cold call from a, from a headhunter. This is sometimes how it goes. And uh, got aware of, of this interesting opportunity at, at Sulzer, which is an industrial engineering and manufacturing organization with uh, close to 15,000 people uh, around the globe. And um, uh, basically started working at Sulzer as the, the team lead for business intelligence with a handful of people in the US and in Netherlands and also footprint in, in Mumbai and India. And starting from there, basically acquired over the time uh, additional responsibilities um, establishing kind of BI uh, competence center, uh, but also then over time uh, in, in the past seven years embarked on, on new territories, for example, uh, establishing industrial IoT uh, solutions, advanced analytics solutions, uh, you know, customer facing, uh, but also internally facing on, for example, shop floor app operations, um, uh, acquired uh, the responsibility for data governance and, and MDM, uh, corporate performance management, and now it's basically, let's say, a well-rounded um, organization that is covering data and analytics end-to-end -end from data governance throughout uh, data insights and then data management up to kind of our smart factory concepts as well as uh, IoT and advanced analytics solutions we have in the market. Mm. And you've been at Salsa uh, working with data for the, the better part of seven years now. Uh, what made you fall in love with data analytics? What do you like most about your job? So a, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I would consider myself rather, let's say, a rational and analytic person. Um, so obviously, um, being able to get insights into, into our operations, into business opportunities, into how we can get closer to our customers and make them even more happy, uh, you know, that is, that is uh, in its own Kind of providing a lot of motivation for myself. Then, um, and, and you know, Soldier Group, we um, have uh, multiple different business models that we're catering for. So, for, ranging from highly engineered to order, uh, so so highly bespoke 
um, project-based uh, products up to you know um, variant configuration standard products and and really kind of mass production make stock type of business models so uh, we're basically looking looking at the data and providing analytical insights to our decision makers and, and all business units and group functions basically allows us to see really uh, kind of uh, the to, to dissect the whole the whole enterprise um, in, in, in its all its its varieties and then I think um, we, we're having an impact on on a lot of people's uh, decision making processes and, 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 and by that even I would say lives um, catering for more more than two and a half thousand users on our uh, uh, analytics platforms and um, uh, therefore really having having an impact on both kind of the the, the top line as well as uh, the bottom line. And last but not least, it requires also a lot of interaction with very interesting people from all levels and all, all geographies. So ranging from the C-suite to you know, individual SMEs or, or knowledge workers. Uh, so we really get into uh, the opportunity to speak to a lot of uh, very skilled, highly knowledgeable and really interesting people across the globe. One thing you said earlier that I really want to dive deep into is you said that you, you see yourself as a data cheerleader. What can you just delve a bit more into that? Uh, what you mean by that? Do you mean you're, you see yourself as a data champion or a data evangelist? And how do you use that role to approach educating the wider organization? It's interesting. So I think, I think basically it starts with showing the art of the possible. Not always people are aware of the capabilities we have. Not always people are even aware of the solutions we, we already built or uh, of the opportunities uh, that we could, could actually help them to, to uh, reap over time, right? Uh, so showing, showing what's possible, also showing, for example, transferring um, successors that we have built together with stakeholders in other business units and showing that to uh, stakeholders in, 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 in uh, business units that are not yet using those capabilities, for example, I think it's, it's usually a low hanging fruit when, when, it, when it comes to, let's say, uh, evangelizing on, on the art of the possible. Uh, then I would say, uh, secondly, it is um, about influencing behavior, because in the end, I think analytics, dashboards, reports um they're, they're in the end just entertainment uh, and not getting any business value out of the door if it doesn't change behavior so always this this chain of of data into insights into action into value generation i think that's the important bit that we you know sometimes maybe even in our profession tend to neglect um because this is where the human factor comes in this is where we need to play a large role in, in change management and First of all, adapting new technologies, new capabilities, but also altering behavior and change the way we arrive at decision, but then also how to actually implement then uh, a behavioral change and, and leading to the desired outcomes. So with that in mind then, what do you think are the key challenges for data transformation leaders who are trying to influence wider behavior? So I think, um, Probably, probably a couple of points here that that jump to my mind right now. I would say one is um, not all organizations necessarily have mastered and understood even how they actually arrive at decisions. Right? 
So I would say it's probably always a combination of the the experience, the the the, the, the prior observations, um, the, uh, the, the 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 education, even the cultural background. You know the context in in which decisions are being made by the individual. Uh, so what you could also maybe describe as gut feel, right? And then supporting supporting that with with facts and analytical insights, um, and 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 by that supporting the decision making here. So what is that process? Um, how how uh, individuals and organization actually arrive at decisions? Right then it gets into the um, interpersonal context. So in the in the moment when decisions are not being made just by one individual but in a, in a group, right? So based on on exchange of information, um, based on um, and group decision-making processes. So I think this is still where uh, a lot of companies uh, would include ours as well here. Uh, we have, uh, you know, maybe mastered how we how we extract relevant data sets, how we model data, how we model, um, you know, analytical concepts, and how we communicate it to a certain extent. But I think how we then actually arrive at decisions and how we translate that into value and what best supports that decision-making process, you know, which format, which time, uh, and so on. That is, I think, still, still where we can improve a lot. The, the other aspect is potentially um, trust. So I think, I think um, and, and I, would, I would split that in two areas. So one is definitely, let's say, the, the promises of, uh, you know, the, the, the advancements in, um, in artificial intelligence and machine learning, right, which uh, significantly changes the way we are working. We're working together, also how we interact and operate with, let's say, machines and things. And um, I think here, uh, one of the major challenges is that um, in order to adopt these uh, technological advancements, uh, you need to build a lot of trust. And um, that involves, once again, change management, that involves uh, picking up people where they are in the different uh, levels of, of adoption of, of AI. Uh, but it also, um, I would say, has a lot of uh, ethical and, and, and moral aspects behind, well, it's not just changing the work and how we, how we interact with certain uh, tools that help us to achieve business outcomes, but it increasingly also has an impact on, you know, who gets which medical care or who gets hired, who gets fired. And in the end, um, analytical models are, are still being, being created by humans. And I would say all humans have a cognitive bias and how to iron out that bias, how to um, increase trust. And by that, the adoption of every single consumer of, of AI, um, I would say it's probably one of the one of the bigger challenges currently of the industry. And the last but, but at least the, the other aspect of trust uh, here is, I would say, the trust in the data itself. So uh, data governance in the sense of, do we have the right data in the right quality uh, that is fit for purpose? Starts from descriptive analytics, but obviously gets even, even more important than uh, in terms of AI and ML adoption. Uh, I think is as, as as well as critical, and um, 
here I would say probably a lot of companies still have a lot of uh, technical debt, right? Um, data sets that live somewhere in silos that are not necessarily captured um, in order to be uh, uh, properly analyzed that, you know, they might be modeled at the source already in a way that it can be, cons uh, that, it, that it supports the process, but not necessarily that it's uh, kind of efficient for, for, for analytics, AI and ML. Yeah, and I love the way that you digressed trust into those different categories because it really does help to contextualize it. And, and I we will go back onto that because trust is a, is a huge problem. Um, well, not necessarily a problem. It's a huge challenge for a lot of people. And or you've, you've broken them down into really uh, digestible chunks there, which, which again, we'll, we'll go back to. Before we do, I just want to go back to what you said earlier about the gut feel side of things. So what are some of the ways that you find are, are good to, to reconcile the need for understanding the decision-making process and aligning that with the gut feel of some senior business leaders? So I think it, it, it comes down to understanding where we can complement and supplement the, the gut feel, right? So what are potential cognitive blind spots that people have? What is information that is simply not available to them because they do not have primary access to it, right? Or because uh, it is too, too big to, to you know, reconcile and understand. So where do we need to, for example, aggregate, contextualize, enrich with, uh, for example, external data that is you know, not, not necessarily born within the organization. Um, and also how to make, make that accessible, right? And I think here we're also moving more and more away from, let's say, the, the classical report, the classical dashboard, uh, looking at a couple of charts and then, and then arriving at a decision. Uh, but with the, 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 the commoditization of IIML, also with the commoditization of uh, special natural language processing, NLP, uh, you know, I think it, it, it will go more and more in the direction of uh, that you actually directly interact with your analytical models and, you know, ask them plain English, English question and, and get, get answers back or even get a kind of um, um, uh, prepared stories, you know, for, for data storytelling, the very name of, of uh, the exchange format we have here, uh, get that prepared basically by the solutions you're interacting with. Mm. And, and with the trust side of things, you mentioned how important it is to facilitate trust. What do you think are some of the best ways to build and facilitate it within an organization? I don't think there's a silver bullet to it, but what I found quite useful is, is first of all, clarifying intent and motivation, and also, you know, clarifying the what is in it for me question, because mm -hmm. For, for building trust, I think, first of all, your counterpart actually has to have a motivation, right? So uh, how are you making their lives better, simpler, you know, uh, more efficient and so on? Um, and then uh, work, show and tell. So basically work, work with the actual knowledge workers, work with the business domain experts, get that street credibility, you know, built into into the, the analytical solutions that you're trying to build. 
So work with the ones that, that have the experience, that have the exposure to the customers, to that market segment, to that business process, to that manufacturing operations or whatever it may be, uh, and, and have them involved very, very early from the start, especially the ones that, uh, you know, are a bit more likely to, um, to, to actually adopt and, and are open to the idea of, of interacting with, with analytics, with, with AI, uh, ha- have them picked up where they are, have their knowledge built in, have them tested and validated and have them also try to rip it apart, right? Where does it not work? Where, where's the bias? Where's the blind spot? Um, and then I think you, you probably start from the people that um, are more prone, let's say, to, to actually adopt it and be open-minded, but then go directly to the, the most critical voices in your organization and show that it works, right? So build that, build that POC, build that pilot, build that MEP very rapidly, get that early feedback from those, um, let's call them end users, and then show how one team can now suddenly easily, you know, with all other things ideally being equal, how, how that one sales team can outperform the other sales team that are not using um, uh, that analytical model that allows them to optimize their margins, for example. Mm. And can you give us an example of a time that you use this uh, show and tell and, and street credit approach uh, in order to, to gain results? So I think um, it's probably four to five years back when we started to establish an um, uh, telemetry data-driven kind of industrial IoT solution that's also um, in, the, in the latest evolution stage using um, machine learning techniques for anomaly prediction. So basically in a, in a very conservative environment, oil and gas industry, um, taking data from um, their um, operations of, of their industrial equipments. And in that, in that uh, case, it was uh, and still is oil and gas midstream. So uh, pipeline operations, for example, but also uh, process critical pumps that are being applied, for example, at uh, 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 solar power plants. And here we changed the conversation from very early uh, at at the very start of, you know, why are you talking to me about my data? You know, I've been in this business for 25 years. Nobody ever asked me for my, for my data. Um, And then, and why would I share that with you to kind of um, with even I would, I would call it offline analytics. So not even an automated solution, but in the very beginning showed what we could tell about their operations and how we could help with their data combined with our um, uh, OEM, so so original equipment manufacturing knowledge, where we not only have, let's say, the the statistical models, but also the physical models behind of of our knowledge about what operations of these industrial uh, assets. We could show them where the optimal, um, the the, the optimum um, operating points are and, and even how, for example, anomaly prediction can help them to avoid unplanned outages and, and, and critical, critical um, um, throughput loss, essentially. And based on that, then we build an automated solution, you know, that is ingesting uh, near real time their data and, and um, uh, build, build um, up to now, yeah, neural network based uh, analytical models on top of it to, to provide um, insights to our customers. And also, I would say the, 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 the conversation now changed in the industry. So from four or five years back of why do you want my data? 
now to actually, you know, when, when the first discussion arises, we get this 127 item cloud security checklist back that we need to fill out, right? So I think also the industry itself matured. That, that makes a lot of sense. So how do you just capitalizing on that? How do you see data analytics today? What do you think about the state of the data function and, and the general progress of data driven business transformation in the corporate world? Well, I think I would probably once again, break it down into one is, is data monetization. So how do you, how do you actually monetize, um, the data you, um, receive either from your customer or from your, your very own business operations. So how do you, for example, offer, offer data as a product or analytics as a product and actually charge for that? Um, and uh, how do you also provide that benefit then back to, to your customers? Uh, and then secondly, I would say obviously for more, let's say the, the internal um, perspective, how do, you, how do you use data and analytics to, to influence uh, your, your, your top line, for example, in getting closer to, to your customers, understanding their needs earlier, understanding their needs better providing more, more differentiated and integrated services and products uh, or, or influencing your, your bottom line and um, understanding better how you reap those um, uh, efficiency gain on your, on your operations in terms of uh, avoiding uh, quality issues and, and non-conformity costs or uh, how to, to get the product out of the door quicker and to your customer earlier. And data monetization is a huge one at the moment. What opportunities do you see in the wider world for, for, you know, quick wins in data monetization right now? Um, quick wins, <laughs> tough one. So I would say, first of all, um, I see, I see a big, a big, um, opportunity actually in, let's say, networks of, 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 of organizations actually um, coll collaborating together and, and, and sharing data. So, and that doesn't necessarily have to mean uh, that monetization is uh, transaction-based. So I give you an insight or I give you raw data and uh, you know, I get paid for that. Uh, monetization can also very well mean that you um, trend translate the, uh, the analytical insights into, into money value by, by implementing change, for example, right? And coming back to, to the example stated earlier, so I think business communities, organizations that are maybe even competing and, and entering, you know, a, a sort of a, a competition state, uh, sharing data with each other, um, that is not necessarily proprietary, but uh, in, in, in terms of improving their services and, and their products. That can be, for example, master data yeah? that, that um, customer, uh, for example, um, organizations in similar industries share customer master data and by that kind of create their own, let's say, uh, Duns and Bradstreet and improve their own data quality in-house. But it can also mean that, you know, non-competing organizations uh, spend together and and collaborate and exchange information to um, improve the overall value chain where they're kind of you know in a sequence and not not competing with each other but by that um, getting getting closer to their customers and being able to serve them them better 
And there's a lot of go, a lot of stuff going on with these these, these quick wins. What what do you think is is data drivenness, and how would you define it right now? So data drivenness for me is that that data always comes first, right? And um, we, we talked about decision making before. So obviously, I'm, I'm mainly focusing on, on the point of decision making here first. But um, data first is, is what I mean already that you, you know, when you implement capabilities in an organization that, you know, data within the, the enterprise architecture takes a very, very uh, prominent place. So that you already, while architecting whole organizations, while you're architecting business capabilities, and while you're architecting um, processes as well as uh, systems and solutions, that you put data first in the sense that um, you always think about, okay, and how am I going to leverage um, that, that data that is there captured, processed, stored, you know, exchanged, and so on. So um, thinking kind of in a, in an, call it conceptual data model already from an organization perspective definitely helps that you have your most critical data objects, you know, under control, your customers, your vendors, your orders, you know, sales orders, production orders, and so on. Um, and then um, establishing a culture of um, enabled by, by a democratization of data. So I think in, in, the, in the past years, a lot of um, power was actually based on information and rather hierarchical companies have been, you know, establishing power on certain roles by excluding other roles or levels and so on uh, from, from access to that information. But by, by the democratization of, of data, so everybody has access to the data, regardless of where they sit in the organization, in which business entity, in which function, I think can allow to uh, a, a much better degree of, of quality in, in decision making and also uh, you know brings in that paradigm back data first so whenever I make a decision I look at the data first and then you know I arrive at a hypothesis I can test the hypothesis I can also test the hypothesis with anybody else that you know have a different perspective on it that might even have you know a structural tension just from let's say because they play a different role in the organization, and then we arrive at, at a consensus, ideally, and, and take a decision. Mm. And this is a huge point to bring up, and I think what, what you talk about as the, the downside of a lack of demo, democratization is, is the idea of having this siloed approach. And I imagine whether it was a KPMG or maybe in the early days of Salsa being such a conservative organization, it could have been uh, you know, a problem that you had to solve. What, what do you find are some of the best ways to, to break down those silos and, and go, move from a more hierarchical structure for data to giving everybody access to that? What are maybe some of the steps you took? So I think one, one step that I've seen in, in a couple of projects that, that seem to work is also how data can be a vehicle for, uh, once again, change management. And for, for example, for simplification of processes, for standardization of processes, for um, actually learning from each other, right? So uh, we had some, some occurrences where, you know, um, I mean, especially failures, right? In, in any shape or form, 
are, are quite often something that um, not everybody wants to give access to everybody. Uh, you know, where we have a failed, what went wrong and why. And, and I think showing here the value of actually exchanging maybe in a, in a first in a moderated form. So we look at each other's data in a moderated process, in a, in a call, in a meeting uh, and learn from each other. And only then thereafter kind of get access to also, you know, the data of, of the other entity, of the other manufacturing side, of the other function um, can, can be a way of, of gradually easing into that thought, right? And then also make it more of a cultural habit that, yeah, of course I give access to my learnings, I give access to uh, my failures and, and, and how I learn from them and how we can transfer best practices and how we can transfer uh, success stories from one location to the other, from one side to the other, from one geography to the other, or even from one function to the other. And um, yeah, I think that that is one way to approach it. And that's fantastic because a lot of what we've discussed today kind of boils down to to change management, culture change. And a huge part of that, obviously, are the leaders who are spearheading that. A good leader can do great things and, and a bad leader can do not so great things. What do you think are the qualities of leaders who inspire that real change? Um, you know, not, not the short, not the low hanging fruit, not the short term stuff, but the stuff that really sticks and, and, and also the qualities of those who are successful at driving these transformations. So I think they, they are probably quite unique in, in how they communicate and engage with their stakeholders. So first of all, I think usually um, they tend to be very good in, first of all, identifying who are their critical stakeholders and, and what role do they play? What, um, what motivation and interest do they have? What are their key priorities? What are the KPIs they're being measured on? what keeps them awake at night and uh, not only on pain points, but also kind of, you know, what's the, the brand new innovative thing that, you know, can change the game they're in and um, getting kind of getting sufficient airtime with them and communicating the value of kind of the, 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 the transformational program they're leading. Um, and then they're, yeah, slicing the elephant, showing value early, get, get early uh, feedback, and, and, and then convince even the, let's say, more more critical stakeholders. Then the second area is probably how they communicate and, and engage with their teams. So providing a, a compelling vision and, uh, and, and, and always the big picture, um, probably making sure how everybody's contribution, individual contribution or team contribution is serving the overall kind of big picture, um, bringing interdisciplinary teams and functions together that complement each other's you know strength, uh, weakness profiles, and and managing also those structural tensions very gracefully, right? So let's say built into the role of somebody working in cyber security, they might you know pursue different ambitions, objectives, and goals than somebody working in product development or marketing. I think bringing those together um, and, 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 and moderating the process of that they recognize what's their shared, uh, what are their shared values or their common denominators and how we can uh, serve that through the change program or the transformation program is, is, is probably key. And then I think probably the, the, the data and analytics leaders that, that are most successful 
I would say while the the, the whole field of data and analytics is is appealing mostly, let's say, to the, the mind, to the heads, to the, the, the ratio, I guess they are very good in also appealing to the heads and the hands of, of people. So convincing what's the value for them, why should they change the way they work, they operate, they, they arrive at decisions, and um, and by that sparking sparking that that change they're they're setting out to do. And and yeah, just just looking at your background again, you've got you've gone from that role within Saltzer of being a manager, and actually living that experience of, of of being you know on both sides of the of the coin, so to speak. You know, having the the, the leadership you need to have, but also being the executioner, um, the, uh, which I think is 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 quite unique in, in your space. Can you delve into that a bit more? You know how these communication skills fed into your own experience, whether it was in the early days when you were maybe. Uh, securing sponsorship or in, in, in current days when you're actually trying to change the perspective of, of key stakeholders or some, of some, some other, maybe something I haven't mentioned? Well, I guess it's, it's both a blessing and a curse, uh, a curse that uh, I, I have some hands-on experience in, in what I'm talking about, right? Uh, the, 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 the curse is probably that, you know, I need to hold myself back from sometimes micromanaging also also my teams right and rather ask uh, coaching questions than the the seven point list in, instruction here here here's what I think you should do right um, it it gives you a level of of technical competency I guess that you need to arrive at sound architecture and design decisions and also to to guide uh, business stakeholders and and decision makers to the right solution for the problem. And, uh, you know, not seldomly, I think these days we're involved in these discussions in terms of, you know, I think we should do more with AI, right? And then the having, having the, or taking the freedom to go back two steps and say, oh, hold, now what's your actual problem? And then let's talk about the right solution. And, you know, maybe in the first step, in the first evolution stage, that uh, can also be, you know, descriptive analytics or a simple rule-based system and might already get you so far, right? Uh, this is sometimes what also in the industry might, might get neglected. I think I've always enjoyed communication because I genuinely like people. So I'm always very interested in my, my counterparts, where they come from, how they tick, what they want. What are the interests, the, the, the motives? And I guess that most of the time um, allows me then also to, to connect to people and establish a certain rapport or trust that then also helps you in all of these aspects that we covered before in terms of you know, change management and appealing not only to, to the, the minds, but also to the hearts and hands. It's something that, I'm working on, you know, sometimes also I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting the human factor a little bit too much. And uh, well, probably the whole, the whole profession, the industry um, has a bit of, of covering grounds to do. So on the flip side of that, then, how important do you think it is for, uh, let's say, business leaders, for lack of a better term, to have those un an intricate understanding of those tech skills? Look, I think also the education industry has picked up here. So when 
we're looking back at the state of you know learning and development what is it four five six years back you know when um you know data scientists was labeled you know the, the, the sexiest job of the 21st century and suddenly everybody embarked on on the field of data and analytics and you know even the guy that that knew how to do a vlookup in excel called himself data scientist um there, there everything was very much focused on kind of the core skills of ai and especially ml engineering which was rather tuned to you know almost to do ml research and um i think you don't necessarily need to understand fully how a microwave works and be able to engineer one yourself from scratch in order to use it. And I think this is where now also the, the learning and development industry arrived at and actually provides to business leaders. So not necessarily data and analytics uh, leaders and, and experts, but business leaders, the fundamentals of uh, you know, data literacy, let's call it like this. So the, the, the ability to, to kind of uh, you know, read, write and communicate in, in data. And um, I think what are critical skills? So um, coming back to data literacy, so understanding how to, to best communicate with data, you know, the do's and don'ts of data visualization, the do's, of don, the do's and don'ts of, of data storytelling, I believe are, are very critical skills. Then understanding the basics of you know, AIML so that at least I don't look confused when I hear the term confusion matrix or, or that I know, you know, that maybe just the basics of, you know, what, 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 what can do K nearest neighbors for me that I'm aware of certain techniques that I can also imagine what, what, what I can do with it. But honestly, I don't think you need to be able to, to, to understand now, uh, let's say the ins and outs of, of these algorithms or models to imagine and dream big. To, to for, the, for that, you basically just need to sit back and think, okay, if ML didn't exist and I just had a couple of people sitting somewhere that would do that job for me, what kind of questions would I ask them? What kind of tasks would I give them? And what are my, my, my biggest pain points or what are my biggest um, opportunity uh, opportunities that I can pursue? And just by that, then testing out, okay, what are, what are potential uh, values that I can, can generate? What are problems that I can solve? And then working your ways on, okay, with the relevant experts, engage with them and see, okay, what can you do for me to solve that problem? And that can be, you know, partnering with startups that can be uh, in, in larger organizations, uh, talk to your kind of uh, in-house uh, data and analytics function or, or with, your, with your technology partners. But you need to have a certain level of, let's say, proficiency to communicate at least in the same language, right? Uh, and to be also able to separate the bullshit from, from the real value generation. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is, ties into to asking those good questions as well. And it sounds like you're pretty intentional and, and, and rigorous with things like setting clear priorities, building, strategic plans and following tactical roadmaps as opposed to just living in the, the, the high end, the, the pie in the sky approach. Do you have a, an actual system in place that to help you in the team with accurate and prompt execution? So we're not perfect. 
well, it's not ideal. We, I would say we've undergone a, a change process in the last two, three years where we try to work our way from um, a very centralized group um, based uh, service provider to our 120 businesses all over the globe and our, our 12 business units to a more kind of forward deployed uh, embedded service function. So uh, one of the ways we, we, we've changed a bit the delivery model is that we um, have people in the data insights team that work more directly embedded with uh, uh, specific business units to first of all, to better understand, you know, their processes, their markets, their customers and, and, and their pain points to be able to, to serve them better. And um, then at the same time, we also tackled it uh, from a bit more, yeah, you could call it frame framework kind of uh, approach to partner with our um, business leadership teams to understand their, their priorities and, um, you know, understanding how they actually steer the business outcomes of, of, of their business units and what kind of information they need at which time and which granularity and so on and what decisions they take and what actions they trigger. So basically, who are you going to call then uh, in order to get that action implemented and understanding with the decision-making process behind. We also started to have more and more, let's say, top-down priorities in place because what we realized that is a lot of solutions that we built in the past years, they're a bit more, more bottom up uh, and, and, and not necessarily always coupled very tightly with um, the highest you know, lever in terms of, of value generation that there is. So it's now a much more of a combination of talking to, to the critical business stakeholders uh, in the organization to define kind of the, the top priorities uh, and focus areas of, of the data and analytics roadmaps um, top down, but at the same time still have people, you know, with their, with their ears on the ground, on the street, and working with the, the business teams uh, to actually generate those, those um, analytical insights. And then I think another area probably accelerated and fueled also by, you know, the, the, the the COVID and, and, and pandemic situation of the past two years is uh, a much higher degree of adoption of, of self-service analytics. So um, we're actually more and more decoupling the delivery model from uh, uh, kind of central teams and, and empowering our businesses around the globe by making curated and, and governed data models available to them. Uh, and then with the right tools and the right training and also the right, you know, support and, and security models and so on behind to, to, to generate their own insights and to you know that they don't, that's just for, for, for a single, single dashboard need to call IT basically, right? That's the idea. And um, that has seen a, a massive increase in adoption in the past 18 months by more than 300%. Um, there's still a lot of ground to cover because we're still um, obviously having a quite a heterogeneous uh, source system landscape, right? Given, given our, our different business models and also give, given our different solutions where our business capabilities run and bringing that together, making, stitching that together, making that available to business end users for self-service analytics. You know, that, that is, uh, I would say, still the journey uh, that we're, we're going together with the business at the moment. Mm. Well, Stefan, I've 
Really enjoyed this conversation. A lot of fantastic insights there. What advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data and analytics? Understand the game you want to be in. Understand what skill sets are required there. So for example, um, what, what's the industry you want to be working in? What's the company you want to work for? You know, do they rather play on a greater role on, on data defense or, or, or data offense? Um, seek assignments, seek, seek projects, seek challenges in that allow you to uh, develop and nurture skills required in these, in these areas. Um, I think you need a sound technology architecture and design understanding, but don't neglect the need for, for people skills and also business domain acumen to really gain that trust and, and kind of the street credibility with your, with your business stakeholders. Then build, build a network of trusted relationships um, inside and outside of the organization that can help you to provide input, uh, can help you to, to contextualize you know, the challenges you are in and can help you to advance in your in your career. Um, get a mentor or a coach that also you know can provide you this this outside in perspective on um, what currently stands between you and and that goal you have. Um, and develop an instinct for value because I think you will have to say no a lot of times because data and analytics is, is in great demand at the moment. And maybe you need to say no to nine out of 10 projects to really be able to focus on the one that will generate the biggest value and that will, will be the game changer. Mm. Well, Stefan, as I said, great conversation. Uh, lots of really great insights there. Thanks for coming on the show and we hope to have you on again soon. Thanks a lot, Paul. Have a great day ahead. Mm -hmm.